0: The uh, theme for the afternoon talk is uh, truth and uh, duality. Yesterday uh, evening, I, uh, as I, I had mentioned to you at uh, past, uh, late in the afternoon, <coughs> that I. Uh, was kindly invited to go into uh, San Francisco, actually at the Zen Hospice, to uh, give a talk, question and answer period as part of a fundraising evening for uh, Jayaji, G, centre in Spain. So as uh, Walt, who kindly drove uh, uh, me and we, we talked, and then upon arrival, I. Uh, asked if any theme had been posted and emailed out to people for me to speak about. It's, it's always useful to know these things <laughs> a minute before one walks in to sit down. And <coughs> they said, oh yes, Christopher, we have a, a theme for you, a topic. And the title was radical dharma <laughs> <laughs> now why christopher should be offered <laughs> such a title i don't know <laughs> so that was the theme for the evening and uh, lo- lots of very lovely friends there and the the old india wallers all hanging around it was great so um, Uh, this afternoon, what I'd like to speak about is truth and uh, duality. I would like to take some features rather common to us in the field of duality, take a good, hard look at them, and touch and explore truth, uh, what is uh, truth. But firstly, with the duality of things. On the opening day, uh, referred to those four pairs, those uh, of uh, worldly conditions. Success and failure, gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, and how easily and distressingly we are very, very much uh, caught up uh, uh, in in all of of this. And (coughs) I've referred to my Mm-hmm. beloved father, no, son, uh, out of law the other day, uh, the, the the runner. So he's talking to my, d- I have to get this in, got nothing to do with the talk, but <laughs> just kind of get it off the chest. <laughs> so, you know. so on Sunday he's playing football. Now what is a 100-meter runner doing playing football? His legs are insured for a quarter of a million, so maybe that's the motive, I don't know. And um, he's being given by a, an English uh, white person a very, very hard time during the game. The guy is con- constantly trying to kick him. And uh, so my daughter's watching the match with my grandson and other friends uh, there. And Jonathan's being given a very, very hard time. And at one point, the guy really takes a hard kick at him. And then, uh, excuse the vernacular here, he said, this guy said to Jonathan, hard to believe this still goes on in this world, he said to him, well, if you as a fucking nigger can't take this, then get back to where you came from. And uh, so Jonathan stood there and Nashona said to me, Jonathan said to him, who the fuck do you think you are? And Jona- Nashona said, it was the first time ever she'd heard Jonathan and ever raise his voice and ever used the F word. The referee fortunately heard this player who had been hacking Jonathan down and using this Nigger uh, language, and of course sent him off, and actually ended up abandoning the match against it to his credit and mm-hmm. <coughs> sometimes under huge pressure for mm-hmm. the t- intensity of pressure and in the intensity of, of pressure, the reaction comes fairly modest form, but the reaction from Jonathan that is uh, there and what I would like to do in the looking at the dualities of things try to examine and explore a little bit with you this afternoon how easily there are preconceived ideas and assumptions in our practice, in our view, in our interpretation, which we carry around, which seems very reasonable, which might even seem true, and and becomes widely adopted, but goes unexamined. And there are a few of them. Um, One of them is, in the movement of the mind, is the uh, exaggerated value which is given, I referred to this as well the other day, which is given to the here and now. And it's given an import to it through social agreement, through the literature, spiritual literature, through meditation teachers like Christopher, through views that we have. And the view that can arise in the duality is that there is only the here and now and the rest, which is called past or future or fantasy or daydream, is... um, an illusion, and the here and now is unique, according to the view. The here and now is unique because it doesn't require thought for its confirmation. Understand? If I go to the past, it requires memory. It requires thought. It requires a view. But I can't, as it were, go to it. If I go to the future, it requires a thought. So, in a view, spiritual view, let's put it like that, and the dualistic view, thought is problematic. It's not Christopher's view, but thought is problematic. And we have to get rid of thought. Each time we go to the past and future, we're using thought, because we can't do it without the thought, or without the word, or without the language, the description. And that's an illusion, because it's just a thought and the present doesn't require a thought, and therefore the present is significant, and the present is uh, the only reality, the present is the eternal now, the present is the only truth, Uh, the present is all that which is authentic, whatever, various forms of language uh, which are used. It is rather interesting going back to the radical Dharma for a, a moment or two. Though my beloved f- uh, friends in the Sangha do in the more polite moments describe this of Christopher. Less polite, they say other things. And, but I don't consider myself, if I may say, <coughs> as a radical Dharma teacher uh, whatsoever. Actually, I'm much more conservative. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I know. And what I mean by that is (laughs) the discourses of the Buddha, the very, very great percentage of it, with a little which I don't buy in any way whatsoever, I am an immense fan of. It's been an influential resource for me throughout my. Uh, Dharma life, unquestionably so. The suttas, the discourses of the Buddha. To take one little point, I'm just y- using it to support the view. The term here and now in 5,000 discourses of the Buddha does not appear once. Funny? <laughs> Funny? Maybe the Buddha overlooked. Perhaps <laughs> he had a blind spot. Oh no! It can't be. It can't be the Buddha. We should rely on the present posse. He uses the word. This is the important thing here. He uses the word "dite dharma." It gets freely translated in a number of discourses of the Buddha, as here and now. You will see in the English here and now. And um, earlier, I was speaking with uh, Ruby at uh, at breakfast time today. Uh, I refer to Ruby as the fourth jewel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And her good man Matthew, who, like me, is equally, we are devotees of the suttas. I asked some friends in Europe who know the Pali very, very well, know the text very, very uh, well. Can they find anywhere, here and now? The English translation, can't, can't find. The word dite dharme, this is a tremendous wisdom in itself. Dharma, like dharma. Dharma, everything is a dharma. What happened before, what happens today, what happens tomorrow, it's all a dharma. We live in the dharma, we live in the ocean of dharma. Objects, things, ideas, thoughts, beliefs, views, opinions, the real, the unreal, daydreams, fantasies, the substantial, the insubstantial, it's all dharma. Dite, like you see, samaditi, in right understanding, view, perception. The Buddha speaks regularly of Ditay dame. What is our perception of the event? What is our perception of the object? What is of our, our perception of what is arising? Huh? What is our perception of what is arising about the past? What is our perception of what is arising with regard of view, with regarding to the present? What is our perception of what is with regard to arising of the future or our interpretation or our wish? There is no special emphasis whatsoever in the teaching of the Buddha which places an exaggerated value upon the here and now. That our life in terms of consciousness, in terms of perception, in its arising, yes, you and I take an interest in what's arising here and now, clearly. But, whether we like it or not, we experience, day in and day out, the arising of attention, which may be directed to what happened yesterday or yesteryear, or it may be directed to what happens tomorrow, or next week, or the end of our life, or whatever it might be. And the Buddha, in a rather, I would say, wise recognition of all of this, takes and gives acknowledgement to the dependent arising of perception about today, about tomorrow, or about yesterday. It is certainly true, coming back to the... uh, thought situation of the value of the present moment, of concentration and mindfulness, of being well established in the immediacy of the circumstances of conditions. And our meditation is contributing to that. It is a step too far to give in any way whatsoever, some kind of ultimate or absolute status to the present moment. Understand? Yes, it's valuable to be present. Yes, it's valuable to feel concentrated and content with what's revealing itself. But no human being can stay permanently, because of the conditions of arising, in the moment, in the here and now. And then somebody say, "Oh, Christopher." But everything is arising, including all my thoughts about the present, and all my thoughts about the past, all my thoughts about it. It's all arising here and now. Maybe. But in the moment of the arising, when I am giving some reflection to what happened, or what I might learn from it, say from the past. Or what my intention or direction is with regard to uh, the future. I'm not keep coming up with a thought, oh, that's also just arising here and now. My attention takes an interest, and it's necessary with wisdom to be able to let go of the here and now in order that I can give attention to the past, hopefully wisely, and learn from it. I get clearer about things. I see what's going on about what was. And when I give attention to the future, I see, is it related to the unfoldment from yesterday and today? Is it a radical departure? Is it in that movement and stream? Is it just projections and fantasies and daydreams and being completely lost? So, Yes, to repeat a little, yes, there is a value in the present. But as a human being, I don't want to be in the present moment all the time. It'd be a nightmare. I want freedom. And if I'm in the present moment every time, I'm trapped. I'd be, I'd be frozen in it. I might as well go and uh, get, get my brain cut off or something. Well, I mean here and now. (laughs) We need need the freedom to breathe inwardly. I need the freedom to respond to yesterday and last week and to let go of this present moment, not to exaggerate its importance. I need to be able to turn my attention to what I'm going to do next week or next year and make the necessary organizational things or whatever in cooperation with other people. I need for that to let go. I have a vision I want to bring that about to actualize it I need to let go of the present moment so I can give attention to that movement of that stream of consciousness that opening to that so the freedom of the being recognises what is present and revealing and exposing itself to us but it's a dualism to say, only the present moment is real and all the rest is unreal. Only the present moment is true and everything else is a delusion. It would be a great pity to live like this. And it, would, it would freeze the consciousness and we would be moving if that view was true, if that was how things really are. We'd be in a terrible mess. We would be in a situation where, when I'm in the moment, I'm... <coughs> enlightened and liberated, because this is the only truth. And when I'm not being in the moment, because I'm having to think about tomorrow or yesterday, then I'm out of the truth, I'm out of the reality, and I'm into a delusion. I mean, just saying it makes me feel dizzy. (laughs) I'd be going in and out of enlightenment like a yo-yo. Well, I don't want to live like that. I hope you don't too. The fields of time are mutually dependently arising. And it's a challenge to find the wisdom to deal with the mutually dependent arising conditions which are referred to as past, present and future. Ah! So this is why the Buddha has never used the words here and now in 5,000 discourses on the teachings of liberation. Om to the Buddha. Wisdom, as he says, in all directions through the f- all three fields of time a liberation embracing not ca- carving up a fragmented view this is only this everything else is false another area which we can look at and uh, e- explore again spiritually very human but easily again it goes on uh Misunderstood, dare I say, uh, or dualistic in its mode. And it isn't an easy one. And uh, different aspects to this. And one of them is around, shall we call it, stuff, or uh, personality, or my story, whatever. And we notice in our day, in our meditation, sitting, walking, standing, reclining, that, pardon me, there's initially a perception about something. Your, my attention goes to something. In that moment, the mindfulness, the consciousness, has landed on an object. And for those of you who know the text, you know fairly, fairly well, one of the much beloved discourses of the Buddha is called the Satipatthana Discourse. And in this, it's an exploration from the, uh, uh, the Buddha, a very, very profound and beautiful one, which he says, for mindfulness, or awareness, using the concepts interchangeably here, that means being conscious of, another way of saying it, The areas of life which matter to us, upon which consciousness lands, are four areas, four foundations of mindfulness. One is the body, including the breath. Second are the feelings, and Shaila spoke to you about feelings uh, this morning. Thirdly, in uh, dualities of things, are states of mind, pleasant and unpleasant useful and not useful, etc. Contracted and spacious. gives eight dualities, eight pairs of opposites. And the third is Dharma. Again, it's used in the broader sense of the object. So, that means that which mindfulness goes to that which we see, hear, smell, taste and touch, and the range of experiences and reflections that arise. That's the... So, breath, sorry, body, Feelings, states of mind, and the Dharma. And the word is translated as foundation, but it, in the in the Pali language it's sati patana. And in Hindi, patana is like station. In the station. You have like patankot, one right of the town, so the place where people get off to go up to dhamsala. places like that. So again, beautiful, beautiful teaching and precision with the language, our mindfulness, our consciousness, our awareness, it finds itself landing in any of these four areas. Sometimes we land on the relationship to the body. Young, old, fat, thin, tall, short, black, white, and we land on it in terms of their experiences, pleasant, painful, comfortable, uncomfortable, etc. Ne- another station that the consciousness lands on is the feeling realm, pleasant, unpleasant, in between. That what matters to us. Another is a state of mind, expansive state of mind, contracted state of mind, selfish state of mind, unselfish state of mind, negative mind state, non-negative mind state. And it lands there. And fourth, it lands on objects. What I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think about, etc. The Buddha said, there's nothing outside of all of this. This is it. To imagine that there's some outer force outside of it, some other. G-O-D. Cosmic consciousness. The great beyond. All that. Oh, no. oh, forget it. In this midst of this ordinary, everyday conventionality, called body, feelings, states of mind, and dhammas, mindfulness lands. And what it lands on is temporary. I'm, I'm really caught up in my state of mind. It fades away. Now I'm with my body. Whatever, back and forth. So it's a station, not a foundation. It's a temporary station, which we land on. And we're trying to find the wisdom in life to see what we land on. What we land on, we're going to land on. When you sit down, you land on your ass, whatever. We can't walk in and just sit down or walk and just say, I don't think I'll land in a state of mind this afternoon. I'm not up to it. The idea of choice is a little mm, bizarre anyway. So here's a movement of dependent arising conditions in which we land temporarily on any of these four areas. And And we're trying to find the wisdom in all of this. For some, we know, this is part of the knowledge of the self, that perhaps one of these areas there's a lack of wisdom about. Maybe more than one. Maybe all four. In other words, if there's lots of issues with the body, everything from food, of course, to appearance of the body, to sickness, to death, and therefore, there is dukkha around the situation. And we notice this frequently. It's a reminder to us that the application of the mindfulness needs to go to that area more carefully and clearly and to find a skillful wisdom that says, this body is not me, not myself, with great respect, with great care, and relate to it in a non-problematic way. That the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, comes out of the perception of the way of looking. I may not be able to stop the pain in the body. The Buddha said, one of the discourses, the middle-length discourses, and the middle-length discourses I regard as, as uh, like the Koran. I love this book. The Buddha made reference to the back pain which he was experiencing when sitting. Now, what's good enough for the Buddha is good enough for Christopher. (laughs) If he can have back pain, then I can have it. (laughs) And you. One may not be able to guard oneself against pain in the body, but there can be a wisdom which is untroubled by the event. Understand? I can't be assured in life at the physical level. And therefore, the application of mindfulness, beautiful term, not foundation, the application of mindfulness is to bring attention to what is, and if there is a problem in it, what is the wisdom that's going to take the problem out of it? as a resource for the liberation. Quite often with the body, it's fear. Quite often, it's fear. But not always. Sometimes we get the view. (coughs) And remember, it's it's a liberation teaching. The view can arise so this is another very, very, very uh, common one here. There is something behind something. It's a very popular view. There is something behind something. This metaphorical language is a nightmare. It's a curse. It, it's Mara playing games with us. And one of the, um, two examples of this is, one is, Here's all my stuff, my issues, my problems, my personality, started up. And But this isn't who I really am. This isn't my true nature.. And if I can only work through all of this you know, back to this word "work," you know just say the word it's tiring. If I can just work through all of this, then behind all of this, I'll come to my true self, my upper self, my higher self, my less miserable self. (laughs) So I've got a view that here's a foreground, this wretched me, and then behind it, there is um, who I really am. So it's a duality. You understand? There's, a, there's a foreground, then behind it, there's my, you know. Or another popular one. It's, it's all, all the same, you see. It is my personality. The, you know, the, I, there is no such thing as a personality. It's a, an, another s- silly little idea. Personality is just grabbing hold of something which appears to be repeated and is coming up in the present moment. Personality. Oh, this is his personality. This is her personality. The person's mind's gone to that, said, Oh, I've seen this before in this person. It's repeating itself. And therefore, this is personality. This is something. Personality is something. You can't find the Personality. Just an idea of continuity. So we say, oh, there's a personality. Let's work on our personality. We go and see, I won't mention their names. (laughs) Because I always, especially here, I always get into hot water. But we go and see those people who would help us to deal with our personality. (laughs) Because Ruby says, you always mention them during, and I'm trying to do my best not to. I love you all, please forgive me. <laughs> so we go and see, whatever. I have, I have this issue in my personality. And it was, starts off like this. It's been with me for a long time. And if I can g- work through my personality stuff, then, again, behind it, here it comes, <laughs> I'll come to my true essence. God, Lord. What does that mean? Come to my real essence, my essence. What is what's essence? Essence of what? <laughs> can would, can would, would one of you show me your essence? <laughs> hmm? Whereabouts is it? Etc. And everyone we'll goes, goes, nods their head with you know great approval. Yes, I and say, Yeah, we work in our personality. We get, get through the personality stuff. Then behind it is this magical thing called my true essence our true essence, or whatever. And it's so appealing when we're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a nice, it's a comforting idea that behind all this dukkha and this personality and this unresolved stuff and these headaches and these heartaches and these lifelong disappointments, there's something behind it which is going to be incredibly nice. <laughs> essence in there. And then you know, some even get more ambitious with it. You see. And the Buddhist world has not escaped it either. And be, and then it. I'm working through my hindrances. I'm regularly having my multiple hindrance attack. <laughs> <laughs> All these things are going on in my you know day-to-day life, but behind it is my Buddha nature core. <laughs> I mean, it's ambitious, gone bananas, et cetera. This thing here, by the way, looks like a monk's begging bowl. If I may say, as a former monk, I mean, there are some greedy monks, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I never quite saw, when I was a monk, wandering around the villages getting my morning alms food, any monk with quite that bowl, uh, bowl there. Actually, it's a spittoon. <laughs> yeah. It's for those times when one hears about essence and my true nature and my higher self <laughs> and my Buddha nature. You know, when one hears them, <laughs> 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 have a look inside. Did <laughs> you feel ill? <laughs> All right. Only teasing. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea of in front and behind is so such a common view. It has such an appeal, an, an appeal, but it's an impossible task because every time we say, "Well, I've worked through this, and now I have this." And then the mind has to come and say, well, the, the thought, the idea, the view, the opinion, the standpoint, well, this, is, this, this is it. But this which is it, whatever I call it, essence, true nature, higher self, Buddha nature, or whatever also seems terribly uh, e- ephemeral. And once again, we're back in the duality. The back of tasting of this, called Buddha nature or true nature. And then, not by certainly not by any choice, we're not in our true nature, and say, "Oh, great! Let me be thrown back into all that mental pollution that I had <laughs> last week." There's no, we don't say to ourselves, "God, I want to. I'm tired. Of my, I'm bored with my Buddha nature. <laughs> Let me get back to the foreground of more stuff to deal with. It's more interesting, or whatever." And so, the mind, the movement, the view, the duality of it all, of kind of going backwards and forwards between what I don't like and what is. What's problematic and what isn't. And every time it's problematic, there's some comforting idea in the view and something behind it. There is nothing behind anything. It's not easy to see through this duality. It's not easy to be in such a way that we don't subscribe to it. But in not subscribing to it, it's rather liberating. It might just start to take out this whole Protestant work ethic of getting working through something to get behind to get to something else. Maybe life is not constructed into personality and beyond personality. Maybe that whole construction and the storyline that goes with it is part of spiritual mythology. And again, just for the reference point, from the discourses of the Buddha, not to take them as any uh, (coughs) absolute authority, but generally speaking, giving the depth and the breadth of the exploration and the vital interest in our <coughs> liberation as quickly as possible. <coughs> if being here and now, true self behind false self, Buddha nature behind problematic mind true nature behind the stuff, was, or is, how things really are, surely that would be very clearly stated. It's interesting and noticeable that for the most part, I can't say absolutely, or the discourses, whatever, but for the most part, the senses, the Dharma teachings, don't wish to enter into that kind of dualism because it's severely problematic. No matter how much it's repeated in the circles that you and I move in, then we're just left. Not even with the here and now as an absolute, not with anything behind, not with the notion of personality and stuff, but the potential to be rather innocent abroad not carrying the preconceived ideas which we've learnt, memorised, or interpreted. And then to sense the life, to feel the life in a somewhat different way. The uh, Dharma is very, very much concerned with conditions. Very, very much concerned. And in the meditations, as with the act of the listening, two things into another uh, uh, duality, we say, here is the perception. I look at something, I perceive it, I look at it, I give attention to it, whatever it is. And sometimes, in that which we give attention to, as I mentioned earlier, a story arises. You and I have our stories. There's the story of our life. The story of the event, of the circumstance. And it is not possible for a human being to live without a story. To live without our stories and culture a story as well. And stories are precious and, 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 and beautiful. They contribute to the diversity and the meaning of life. One's got to tread carefully because another duality arises. And the treading carefully in this one is I'm meditating, I'm sitting, I'm walking, I'm standing, I'm reclining, I'm meditating. I want to have a sense of the bare actuality. Just to sit and just to breathe. Just to sit, just to walk, and just to feel the earth walking. And not getting any, into any judgments or descriptions or views or whatever, just to experience the bare actuality of things. And it may well be that in the course of the day, for you and for I, a story will arise I just told a story. A 26-year-old guy is playing football and he's subject to some uh, racist abuse. It's a story. And the story is entered into the field of life. It's an interpretation of events. It has a very rightful and appropriate place. The danger is. For the dedicated (coughs) meditator, (coughs) for the person (coughs) of consistent mindfulness, of the power of concentration, the danger is that all stories are used as a distraction. Understand? If a story enters into the event called sitting, walking, standing, reclining, eating, work period, it's viewed sometimes very, very quickly as something to be cut off. The story is then dismissed, undermined, because of the messages that people like me put out. And (coughs) the additional value is given, and the danger of the exaggeration here, of the value of having no story and just, in the walking, there is just the walking. In the sitting, there is just the sitting. In the eating, there is just the eating, or whatever. And therefore, no story. Of course, later on, you know, one makes a story out of it, etc. In the description. When the story arises for us. We're interested in not exclusion of story and prioritizing of exclusive single-pointed concentration on an object with no story. The story, the emergence, the memory, the vision, the wonderful idea no, with no connection to the here and now may well be extraordinarily valuable. And it would be a pity to ruthlessly cut it off and only prioritize the power of my attention in the moment. Understand? It's too small a view. when the story arises, which is problematic, known by some unhappiness in it, known some by anguish or disappointment or frustration or hurt or separation or anger or blame or delusion or confusion or muddled views, then the story has got within it other factors which need some inquiry for release from. Sometimes, like a house of cards, we just look, we put the interest to one card in that house of cards and the whole lot collapses. It doesn't take that much to change it to a condition, to change all the conditions. Because it just can crumble very quickly. So, when something unfolds in the form of the story, in the circumstances that it does, let's not be in a great rush to dismiss it, but see if there's something beautiful there. Is is it an expression of love? Is it an acknowledgement of appreciation and joy? Is it a, a precious moment of life? Because the story or the event or the circumstance, past, present or future, really can nourish the whole being. Sometimes in a way that powerful concentrated attention cannot. And if we don't get this right, and there's too much undermining of the story of our being, if there's too much undermining of it, we'll become terribly dry meditators. And there are a few around. <laughs> a few. Sometimes their heads are shaved. You know what I mean? So, again, the, the dharma of the Buddha pays great respect the importance of the power of attention. Looking at what changes, those stations of attention I referred to. Finding the ways to explore and look into life in its immediacy. And not offering or claiming or proclaiming something outside the immediacy of the field which is called past, present and future. Therefore is telling us owing to this, this arises, whatever it might be, and not giving any religious belief, any kind of transcendent element above and beyond, because it's another duality, and saying in this field of dependent arising, of past, present, and future conditions, in all of this, this is it. This is where the play is, the dance is. And it's in all of this that all the realizations and discoveries can be made. It's never apart from, it's never beyond, and it's never behind. It's never beyond, and it's never behind. In the exploration of truth, I'll speak about conditions on another day, but in the exploration of truth, (laughs) the difficulty, and the great difficulty with truth, is, it can't be boxed. It cannot fit into the frame of language. In the precision of the teachings of the Buddha, no, rem- truly remarkable uh, clarity here, he says, there are, you have heard this many times in the hall here, three characteristics of existence. Impermanence, Things change, we can't keep a control over it, comes and goes, it's not satisfactory. <coughs> Dukkha, sometimes. <coughs> and it's very <coughs> pardon me, very impersonal, not self. There is no statement which it is made, which it says, these are the three truths of existence. Understand? Don't say there are three truths. Very profound difference. They are three, chari- three three characteristics, three features, three events which touch us, we could say. And they're interrelated, interdependent, impermanent, unsatisfactoriness, and uh, non-self, impersonal. Just going on. Too much exaggerated importance on it will, in the mind's view, make them into truths, make them into great realities. (laughs) Not the case. So what's truth? Truth is not impermanence. If it was, it would be stated. If it was, experience would confirm it. So, we're called upon, not easy, to fo- uh, not easy to follow, hang in. We are called upon, we're encouraged here, to be able to hold the world, dare I say here, hold the world rather lightly. And in holding the world or embracing the world rather lightly, Not to impose on it, this is the truth. Three characteristics of existence. This is the truth, everything is changing. Uh, This is the truth, there is only the here and now. This is uh, uh, the truth, Uh, you can find your Buddha nature. Not imposing this view on anything, anywhere. In the non-imposition of the view, What is truth? It's not found in the object because it's subject to the characteristics of existence. It's not found in the subject because the subject is subjected to the characteristics of existence. It's not found out there and it's not found in here. The idea that truth was in you is just another mega-sized delusion. And whoever told you that, what were they looking at? The idea that truth is in here somewhere. And the idea that it's somewhere out there and someone's got it and can I buy it? Is a movement of the interpretation, the exaggerated value, which gives a location for truth, in here, or out there, or both. Or nowadays it's fashionable. My truth is. (laughs) That's what it's platoons here. (laughs) So I'm interested in finding truth. The Buddha said, Neither here, nor there, nor above, nor in between. Oh, oh, what is truth? This, hopefully, to the being, the human being, it genuinely brings a very authentic humility. Because the I, which doesn't know humility, wants to know what is truth. And we look in different directions to it. If I put too much on the past, I'll make the truth the middle-length discourses of the Buddha. I'll make that the truth. I'll make that book the truth. Not possible. The book cannot be independent of the reader of the book. There's no book without it having to go through this poor devil's mind. Then I have to interpret it and put it out there. So truth can't be in the book because you can't get it separate from from the reader of the read. Understand? book doesn't have any, its own existence which is something infallible because it can't go anywhere without it going through some reader's mind. And the reader's mind's got a prejudice. I like the book. Or <laughs> well, I don't like it. Whatever. I can't go out there because it's still got to go through something here. And if I go through here, it's still got to go through something and come out through something. And I've got nowhere else to go. And the three characteristics are not it. That would make truth impermanent. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So, a human being... They get an interest. What is truth? How is it known? Maybe there is no truth. Maybe there's no such thing as truth. Maybe there is truth. What would confirm it? May all beings see into things. May all beings keep the heart open. May all beings engage in the questioning which is liberating. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we? at 5 o'clock. For those who wish there is some uh, standing meditation or uh, the uh, sitting, I had uh, lunch uh, today with the uh, uh, um, lovely teacher in the, uh, up- upstairs, Ruth, and invited uh, her this evening to come and speak with us at, at 9 o'clock, because they finish tomorrow morning there. Um, she expressed appreciation, but um, it seems that uh, today, in the final evening, uh, this week it was her 85th uh, birthday. So, uh, uh, g- good dharma uh, uh, students are uh, offering her uh, some uh, cake and etc. etc. Uh, in the uh, evening time, and then followed by their uh, uh, evening program. So uh, it may not be possible uh, for uh, her to come because of the evening programme and the birthday uh, etc. But on behalf of of everybody here, of course we send our uh, appreciation and our love to to Ruth, to uh, the wonderful Dharma service that she's given to many, many people uh, over the years in this country and uh, overseas and uh, to wish her a very, very uh, happy birthday. So I'll pass the message on. OK, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening.